This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hey, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today I am so incredibly excited that we have Jane Adshead Grant, and she's going to talk about her new book, The Listening Coach. I know that's something for sure that I need to work on is the skill of listening. So on that note, welcome, Jane. Thank you, Skip, Harvey and Jake. Delighted to be here with you today. Jane, once again, thank you so much from uh, being with us from across the water, as we like to say. And uh, I, I do want to just start off by saying that uh, this afternoon when I get home and my wife asked me uh, what I did today, I'm going to say, well, we did a podcast today with the listening coach. and She's going to say it's about time. <laughs> tell me tell me what you learned and uh, she's going to be so excited. She she may not listen to many of the uh, podcasts, but I, I guarantee you she will. Uh, she'll listen to this one. But but I was looking at your books, and you know, one is are you listening or just waiting to speak? And and that's I'm the I'm the chief of sinners when it comes to that. But but the first question I'd like to ask you is, and as we talked a little bit about before we started, and it seems such a such an easy question to answer, but if we think about it, it might not be that that easy. Why is it so important to to listen and to listen well? And and we'll get into talking about what listening well and not listening well is a little bit later. Well, thank you for that question. I, I and it's a lovely question. Um, I think it's important on many levels. I think it's important one on one in terms of it being. I would often refer to it as listening being the currency of our relationships. Listening is a way to let other person know that we respect them, we value them. And in fact, my view around listening, it's one of the greatest gifts we can give another human being. It doesn't cost much and yet it's invaluable. So I think on a personal level, it is the key to propelling our relationships at work and at home. And when we think about listening in our work life, I think listening at work can help us not only get a greater understanding of who the other person is or what we need to be doing in terms of what we want to accomplish through the nature of our work, but it also enables people to connect more deeply with each other. And I also think listening is essential in our community. Again, it brings that level of connection with one another. But I think listening has a huge impact on the lives we're lucky to interact with. So for ver various levels, listening is invaluable. And yet it's a skill that's hugely underrated. Yes, uh, and I can certainly attest to, to not being the, the greatest listener. And, and my wife will uh, mention the same thing, HF. So you're not in, the, you're not in that boat alone. Um, one of the things I was thinking about while you were responding was that my my youngest children, um, they're they're fairly young. I got two boys, but one of the skills that they work on in school is being a first time listener. So you'll, you'll often hear the the teachers um, say, "You need Davis, you need to be a first time listener." And so we'll we'll started using that at the house, trying to get them to listen the first time when we ask them to do something like clean the room. Um, but it seems to be a struggle for for one of my uh, boys versus more so than the other. 
Um, and so can you just talk a little bit about listening as a skill and how to to nurture it and uh, you know why some might have more trouble than others? Mm. So I love the fact you you mentioned the fact listening is a skill. It is a skill and it's a skill that's it's an active. It's something that we do. And in my learning and observations, it's a skill that generates the best in others. So listening is very much active as opposed to hearing, which is more passive. You know, we might hear the murmur of the air condition or the clock ticking, whereas listening requires us to give our attention to another. It requires us to, you know, be open minded. It requires us to be empathetic and, and listen for what's not being said as well as to what's actually being said. So there are a number of skills. But I think one of the key things in listening to you share the story about your, your young son there is I firmly believe that to be a good listener for others, we need to listen to ourselves first. And as parents, we can be great models of listening and we can help our young children learn to listen well by first listening to them as well. And I think we underestimate that as parents, how we can begin to listen to our youngsters at a very young age and let them know to what and what it feels like for them to be listened to. When we talk about developing listening skills, let's let's suppose I've I've admitted that hey, I'm I'm not a very good listener. And I want to do something about that. What what are some of the exercises or practices that someone could do to to improve those skills? Yeah, well, in my book, The Listening Coach, I test to 10 listening skills and I'll share just a few here that I hope will be of value. Um, number one, the first thing is to give your attention and notice the words I use give. It is an active skill rather than simply paying attention. So the first thing is to give attention, get interested in what the other person's saying. Another way, another skill is to learn to minimize distractions. Um, again, you know, turn off the phone, shut the laptop down. Um, so do what we can to mitigate any distractions. Another skill is to resist the urge to interrupt. One of the things that we often overlook is the impact interruption has on another. And researchers shared with the neuroscience, you may well be familiar with this, gentlemen, that um, when we interrupt another, the brain receives that interruption the same way as it does a physical assault. And so when someone's speaking and we interrupt their thinking, their whole brain kind of closes down, it goes into that fight or flight response. And so another skill is to resist the urge to interrupt. And another skill, I'll share this last one with you, just so it's enough to, to um, for our listeners to take in, is to get comfortable with the silence. We often feel a, a need to fill that silence. But as you may know, that silence, whilst it may feel uncomfortable for some, it is often in that silence that people refer to can be as golden, that does the heavy lifting, that helps people reconnect more with themselves, what they've just said, how they feel in the moment. And so when we hold that space and enable that silence, 
that will enable others to consider and to reflect and to be more of themselves. So those are just four to get us going. Those are great. Thank you. Yes, you mentioned a a couple of things there that I wanted to follow up to that I think would be especially pertinent to to healthcare uh, when physicians are talking to patients or or nurse or or whoever is kind of talking with the patients. One of the things that you had mentioned earlier was that um, we need to listen, um, how did you phrase it, Uh, to things that are that they're saying, but also the things that go left unsaid. And so a lot of times patients will, you know, tell us the story, but it's the way maybe they're, you know, their body's positioned or, or averting their eyes from you that, you know, tells you something a little bit extra than uh, what was just with their story. The other part was related to interruptions. Um, physicians, and we've, we've talked about this in the podcast, we, we interrupt patients very frequently. Um, it's almost something like every 18 seconds during the patient trying to talk to us, we'll, we'll interrupt them. Um, and, you know, I think we've shared before that once you're interrupted, it takes a long period of time before you're able to get back to the, to the original train of thought. So um, can you comment on that just a little bit from, um, from the healthcare side of things when talking about patients and, and some of these skills that, um, and lessons that you, that you, that you've been mentioning? I can. And what I would love to say is I would love to appreciate you both and to acknowledge the fantastic work that you do as physicians to, you know, for us going in to visit our physicians to to figure out, you know, how we could get better or, or what our symptoms are. And so I think one of the things is, and what I really observe here in this country, in the UK, that physicians are under a huge amount of pressure in terms of the system. So the time you have to connect with patients is so limited. So I think that is a real big challenge for when we're wanting to listen. So a couple of things that overcome that for me would be, um, first of all, in, you know, setting the scene for clients, sorry, for patients around. And it's no different to what I do with my coaching clients. So if I have, you know, an hour with my client, that's wonderful luxury. I guess it would be compared to what you might have. Um, But if I have a 30 minute session, you know, I would say, look, you know, we have 30 minutes. So what's going to be of most value during this time for you? Um, And then the second thing for for listening is is one of the skills is asking open questions, questions that enable others to share more of what's going on for them. And the other thing I'd love to comment on here is that whilst we're learning the skills of listening, it's also to recognize that we all have listening biases. We fall into biases that can hinder our listening. And one of those that I share in my book is that of the solutioner, someone who will jump to conclusions, who will interrupt another before they have heard the full story. They will be listening to diagnose, listening to reply. And whilst as a physician, I totally respect and appreciate there will be some diagnosis that's required, in order to get the full story or to help an individual really share what they might be what might be going on for them is just to resist that urge to interrupt to solve too early on as to what might be going on for the patient such that they can reveal more of themselves and in fact what they may think is actually going on for them oh yeah i'm the, i'm i'm very very guilty of that and I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm a surgeon, and if if somebody comes in with gallstones, I know that I'm going to 
take their gallbladder out eventually. So I'm asking them these leading questions that that I really already kind of know the answer to. I'm just getting them to say what I want to hear so I can check the box and I can document that that yes, they do have gallstones, they are having the appropriate pain, and yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna take their their surgery out. And you know, we we've heard in medicine that and especially for Jake and the medical guys, that if you would just listen to the patient, that they will tell you what's wrong with them. But unfortunately, we just don't, we don't give them, give them enough time. Another question I wanted to ask you is you mentioned uh, distraction and, you know, I'm I'm sitting here with this in a video podcast, but I'm holding up my, my cell phone and, you know, our young people, our young people are, are, are to, and, and adults as well, we're all connected to these devices. And do you, do you see that going into the future? Have you seen that our listening skills have, have declined over the years? Because it seems like we, we don't, our, our attention span is, is very, very limited and small. Well, first of all, I would love just to appreciate your openness to you sharing your story and your own habits of listening there. So thank you for, for being so open. And um, I think you raise a fabulous point, Harvey, that the phone is a massive distraction. And I think actually it's more than a distraction. It's actually an inhibitor. When we think about being in the room, luckily, none of us can see that our phones are present other than the fact that you just held yours up. But when you imagine being in conversation with somebody, either at work or without, and the phone buzzes, or even if it's simply there with the potential to buzz, what that's actually saying is someone else is in the room. And actually, when you attend to that phone, when somebody else is sitting with you, what is it saying? You know, it's saying that this phone, this person who's trying to ring me or this buzz, this notification is as important, if not more important than you right now. And when we think about what people crave in life, my experience is people want to be seen and heard. They want to be dignified for who they are as a human being. And so that's what we can do by removing these distractions. And the phone particularly is at best turn it turn it down flat ways because some people have to have emergencies, you know, and turn it off if you can. Even better, remove it from sight whilst you're in the presence of deciding to listen to another. Of course, there'll be times when you, you know, you haven't got someone that you're listening to, so then listening to, so then you can, you know, take a take a look at your phone. But increasingly, what I'm seeing in my um, clients and the work that I do is that some team members are asking for a digital detox. They will pop their phone in a little box outside of the meeting room, so they all enter this meeting free from this inhibitor to their thinking, inhibitor to their listening. And it's been very liberating. Jake, do you think we can get a get away with that? Well, it, it, well it was just reminding you know, I worked uh, in the ER on Friday night and when in the patient's room, I wasn't looking at my phone, but my pager would go off, you know, multiple times with uh, somebody else calling for a new patient to be admitted. And so that was that a constant distraction, even though I, I didn't have it on loud, it was on vibrate, it, it did take me out of the moment of when I was talking with that patient. Um, and so it, it's difficult to to separate that and not, you know, that's not even getting into the, the phone, um, which is 10 times as worse as the pager. But, you know, one of the questions I had was, is there 
is there different, I guess, approaches to listening depending on the situation? Yeah, so we were talking earlier about um, listening to diagnose, but a lot of times uh, us as physicians will go in and see the patient and we already know the diagnosis um, and we're, you know, maybe we're confirming the diagnosis or we're going in there to, to tell them about what, uh, what we're planning on doing next. Um, but, but how does that, or how should that um, change the way we listen to the other person we're talking to, depending on the situation? I think you raise a fabulous point um, that listening is contextual. There will be different situations to which we're listening to. And again, gentlemen, I cannot appreciate you more than enough when you talk about the pages going off and and, and my own limited experience in a hospital or um, in a doctor's surgery is that once again, the reality of, of needing to respond to emergency is doesn't is not lost on me. I think to your point, it's how do we deal with that in the moment? You know, by being um, respectful to the person we're talking to whilst we then need to briefly attend to to the pager or something. And so I think the the way we respond is 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 critical in the way that we continue that connection with the person to whom we're listening. I think coming back to your point on um, you know what the context of our listening and and how do we listen to perhaps a patient with whom we already know the diagnosis. What for me sticks out, um, and, I, and this isn't my field, gentlemen, so I'm just sharing with you what I've learned about the art of listening and, and what I read around the subject, is it's how are we being with the patient. And so listening in an in a environment where we may know the diagnosis, I would love to bring in um, the concept of what I call generative listening, listening to ignite the best in another, listening to ignite the mind rather than direct the mind. And this level of listening comes after empathetic listening. So we may begin a conversation listening with empathy, appreciating where they are, how they feel, listening out for those non-verbal cues, their body language. And so we might start with checking in with how they feel about their diagnosis. What do you think? What are your thoughts? My dad's a great example of this. I, I visit with him and his physicians every three months because he has chronic kidney disease, stage five, and he's defied most medical conditions. Most people would be on dialysis at his stage at least three times a week. But no, dad's not having that. He's we're managing it conservatively and he's doing brilliantly well. And, you know, what I love about the interaction between him and his consultant is, you know, I'll often say to dad, what are the questions that you would like an answer to before we go in today? So I invite him to think about the questions. And then, um, you know, the doctor's going to give us the, his version of, you know, the bloods, so the examples, or rather the, the sample and the, the answers. And the physician's saying to him now, you know, Michael, I'm not going to give you the numbers anymore. Because as soon as my dad hears the numbers of his blood count or the levels of um, that special thing you look for when you look for kidney disease. Um, is, that, is that creatinine, Jake? Yes. I don't remember. Creatinine. I was, that's, that's, <laughs> no, I, this is a surgeon talking to an internist. <laughs> okay. but, that, but that is it. So that's it the is. figure you know, gentlemen, what I'm talking about. Yes. And so the consultants, you know, realizes that when you give my dad the numbers, that just throws him into a level of anxiety. So instead, the doctor says, well, we're not going to look at the numbers. They'll, you know, he'll do what it. What's most important is to learn how you're feeling. 
So the things I'm going to be looking for is what are the changes you notice in you? And, you know, what do you want now kind of thing? And so this I love watching and observing this interaction because they're, no, they're noticing that the numbers are not helpful for dad. Rather, to understand from him, how is he feeling? What is he noticing? What's changing in him? And therefore, then giving him some support and help in managing his situation kind of conservatively. And so this is what I call listening to generate the best in him. It's it's listening to encourage with open questions, using encouragement to have the patient share more and also to ask them what they think. You know that we we uh, we've worked a lot and uh, skip especially with uh, Dr. Edgar and Peter Shine in on humble inquiry and and the whole premise behind humble inquiry is asking questions that you don't know the answer to and and so you're you're drawing that person out and and I love I love the way you you say uh, you know listen to ignite the other person's mind that that's really that's really awesome but um i have to ask how how do you uh how do you coach yourself internally oh that's a great question well coming back to my levels of listening i share in the book five levels of listening um i offer that the premise is to start with self-listening and to be a great listener is to learn to listen to yourself first so I'm going to share with you, gentlemen, that I'm still work in progress. So I've written a few books and I train others, I coach others, and I'm so passionate about, um, or rather imagine a world where we listen first. We listen first in a way so that each and every one of us can step up to and into who we're meant to be. And that, for me, is the ultimate where we're seeing people wanting to listen to one another. So my own practice is ongoing. So I'm discerning that listening to oneself begins to tap in with asking myself questions. So what do I think? How do I feel? What am I grateful for in this moment? What do I need to move forward? And so asking myself open questions and also secondly, to notice the way that I'm listening to myself. Am I listening to myself with compassion or am I listening to myself in combat? Sometimes I beat myself up and I need to be aware of that and then start to become more compassionate. And so those are the couple of uh, rather two ways, if you like, that I coach myself and listen to myself. And so one of the statistics um, that we have in medicine is, 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 well, we tend to present patients, especially at the end of an encounter, with a lot of new information. And I, I think the uh, percentage of information retained by that patient is something like 20% of what we tell patients is actually retained. Um, so my question is, how can we help others be, I guess, how could we help patients uh, be better listeners and, and take in more? Is that even possible? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And it relates very much to the work that has inspired so much of my listening, and that is the wonderful work of Nancy Klein. She's a pioneer in what we call the thinking environment. And the thinking environment is a way of being, composes, comprises 10 ways of being to help other people think well for themselves. And it's through Nancy that I discovered this 
lovely work and topic of generative listening. And so in answer to your question, Jake, I believe that we can help others think well for themselves, listen even more by the way we show up around them, by the way that we create the place that says you matter, that we give them a place that, you know, is is as comfortable as it can be. And, you know, it is it's encouraging and it's free from judgment. It's free from interruption. And we give our attention a palpable respect for what they're saying and what they go on to say. And so I believe that we can role model great listening. And that in itself is a great way to help others become great listeners themselves. Let me ask you a question. I know you're asking me, but may I ask you, gentlemen, what does it feel like when you feel truly listened to? Jake? Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that you have mentioned before, um, so uh, elimination of distractions. So when they, they put the phone away, uh, they're making eye contact, um, they seem interested uh, in what I'm saying. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to put it into words, but, you know, they're 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 following along and, um, you know, actually really want to know what what I'm having to say. I don't, I don't know how that comes across physically, but you can kind of tell by the way their their face and eyes move um, when they're when they're when you're speaking. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I agree. It, 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 make, it, it makes you feel good. I mean, even even when you're having to have, you know, a difficult conversation with somebody and, you know, you, you may be. You, you may be in disagreement about something, but. You know, and, and this is what happens between me and my wife, mostly on my side, is that, you know, we may be disagreeing and. You know, all I'm doing is trying to talk over her and whatnot, and, and you know, then I feel like she's not listening. But, you know, when we do have those good conversations where, you know, I know she's listening to me and I'm listening to her, it, it, it's it just it feels good and it feels right. I mean, it's it's a it's a very positive experience. Let me ask a, a question. How has this medium? So, you know, we're we're on video. We're we're on a Teams meeting recording this. Um, but how has this influenced listening? To me, it's it's much harder to to listen like the way you were describing earlier, because one, they teach you to you're supposed to look at the camera, so I can't even look at you in the eye. So I, I, I don't have any idea for making eye contact. And so it seems very hard to to retain as much information from um, a medium such as this than it would be in person. Is, is that what you're finding as well? Well, it's a great observation, Jake. I think you're right that um, this this modality of connecting with one another, I'm so grateful for because we wouldn't have had this conversation, gentlemen, had we not got this capacity. Um, so being able to connect with people overseas and around the world, this has been phenomenal. And, and of course, clearly through the pandemic, it's enabled us to do things that we had never dreamed of before. Um, but in the impact of listening, I think we're doing the very best we can. So when it comes to the camera, I started experimenting by looking at the camera like I'm doing now. Therefore, it may seem that and hopefully that I'm looking at your eyes. 
But what I realized and what I discerned very quickly is, is that I might be looking at the camera so that you know I'm giving you my eye contact, but I'm missing those nonverbal cues, that body language. So I'll always say to my clients in any trainings that I'm running, let's agree to give our attention. And what that means is giving an eye contact. But in the reality of this modality that I'm going to have to, um, as I look at your eyes on the screen, it's going to look to you as if I'm looking down slightly. So I call it out is the first thing. The second thing I'm finding is, is that some people show up for meetings with their camera off. And there's a big debate about that, you know, whether it's just too tiring and I'm just so don't have any energy and therefore I want my camera off. Well, I find that really hard because I don't know whether the other person's listening. For all I know, they could be out making a cup of tea or, you know, they've just checked in and then they're off doing something else. So I love to see people's faces on camera because it draws that connection. The other thing that we may only just get their head you know, at best we get the head and shoulders, but we're not seeing, as you said, that those the other body language. And so we're limited. But I would offer that we're doing the best we can. And I think the key thing as well is to, to create this place, this environment that is free from distractions as much as we can. So when we're in a meeting or with, with somebody on Zoom that or Teams that we can let other people know we're tied up. So please don't barge in my office or, you know, whatever. Having said that, we're all human and we are most of us are spending a huge amount of time now working from our homes. And so therefore, there are going to be the things the doorbell's going to go with the Amazon delivery. Your dog or your cat might just barge in unexpectedly. And this is what it means to live now in this way, in this world as we are. And so therefore, we'll try our very best. And that's what I hope that we can hope for. It's the intention that we bring that it matters. You know, you you mentioned that, you know, this was obviously we would have had this conversation if we had to do it in person. And so there's a lot of benefits to this medium. Um, you know, I don't think we've mentioned it on this uh, podcast quite yet, but, you know, the um, virtual reality, the metaverse, all these other um, concepts that are out there now, they do have virtual meeting rooms where you can get in there and maybe have more uh, more like in-person meetings. I wonder if moving to that level would better I guess, impact our ability to listen and uh, have a better, I don't know, because you would seem more present in some ways. I, I didn't know if you run across that in your work or if you had any thoughts on on those moving in that direction in the future. Personally, I still think the human connection in person is is irreplaceable. I truly feel, and I've, because I, I've, I've just, I suppose I've discovered or I've experienced that a lot over the last two years, taking all my trainings online, um, which have been phenomenal. And I feel incredibly grateful to be able to do that. And I had my first in-person training in 18 months just last week. And and I teach this you know, generative listening and the world of independent thinking based upon the time to think. And it's fantastic. And so I would say that the human interaction continues to generate that energy and connection between us. No replacement. Well, Jane, this has been fantastic. Now, I'm going to ask one last question, uh, and so I'm going to make myself a little vulnerable, and I'm going to ask you, the coach, to critique my technique on something. Uh, one of the things that I tend to do is uh, when I hear myself wanting to jump in, wanting to do things that bother me when I see it in others, I want to jump in and talk over someone when I want to jump in and 
give advice or thoughts. One of the things I'll do, like I'm doing here on camera, is I'll put my finger over my mouth. Most people think I'm having some deep intellectual thought. I'm actually just holding my mouth shut. And I'm coaching myself internally, listen, skip, listen, skip, listen, skip. That's probably a pretty rude and crude approach, but it works for me. What are your thoughts, coach, on that? <laughs> well, thank you for offering Skip, that. I, I just chew my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's whatever works for you. And my invitation is to consider, what if you were to ask yourself the question, how do I know that what I'm about to say will be of any more value than what the other person is about to think? That's great advice. That's really insightful. Yeah, I'm going to use that. Very good. Well, Jane, thank you so very much for being on Connecting the Dots podcast. And uh, if folks want to go out and uh, pick up a, a copy of The Listening Coach, I'm, I'm holding it right now. It's, a, it's not a long read. Uh, how, how can they go about getting it? And how can they learn more about your work, Jane? Well, thank you so much. So The Listening Coach is available on Amazon.com. And if you'd love to learn more, and please do, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Instagram, and also my website, which is www.thelisteningcoach.co.uk. Well, Jane, thank you so much. On behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I really appreciate you, appreciate your time, and thank you so much for being on Connecting the Dots podcast today. You're so welcome. It's been fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jane. Thank you.